Well, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, we're going to begin a new series in the book of Hebrews, which I'm really excited about. I've entitled it, Jesus is Greater. And I hope it begs the question, greater than what? Because honestly, that's the question that this book is intended to answer. And a little spoiler alert here, I don't want to ruin it for you, but he's greater than everything, okay? That's the answer. Jesus is greater than anything you could ask or imagine. And this message of Christ's supremacy is really important to those who are beginning to doubt their faith. And really, if you take an honest look at the situation, for some good reason, because their faith has led them into a place of great persecution. The letter was probably written around 65 AD, and at that time, the Roman emperor was Nero. Nero was an evil man, and he blamed the Christians for a fire that consumed much of Rome. And, and as a result, a great persecution broke out upon the Christian communities in that area. And as a result, many were wrongly accused. Many were thrown into prison. Many were actually killed for their faith. Tradition suggests this is when Peter and, and later eventually even Paul were killed in this massive persecution that was going on at that time. So if you were being persecuted for your faith, you might begin to wonder, is this really worth it? And so the writer of Hebrews speaks to these Jewish Christians and he urges them, he, he encourages them to remain faithful to their Messiah. Because the temptation, the very real temptation for all of them was to return to the synagogues and to, to blend back into the Jewish communities from whence they had come. Because that would be an easy way to avoid persecution because the Jewish communities had protection under Roman law and they would be free from persecution. Just, just go back to the old ways of life as we once knew it. Now there's a lot of debate on who actually wrote this letter, and the truth of the matter is, we really don't know. But what we do know is whoever wrote this letter had an incredible understanding of the Greek Old Testament, also known as the Septuagint. And so, very likely, it was a Hellenistic Jew, whoever this might have been. We also know that he was very well acquainted with his audience. They knew who he was, and he knew who they were. And so some of the realistic options may be someone like Apollos or Barnabas or Silas, but at the end of the day, those are just guesses because we, we really don't know. Now, I understand that this is an ancient letter, and sometimes when we open books of the Bible, we can look at that and say, well, well yeah, that was for a time back then, but I, I need just to, to assure you right now that there is so much in this letter that applies directly to you and I in our lives right here today. Because the fact of the matter is, we are living in what is increasingly becoming an anti-Christian culture, right? And for many of us, we're in situations where we can get in some really big trouble for living out our faith in, in very obvious ways. Just a simple example, if you're a teacher, is it not true that you have to be really careful about what you say in the classroom, right? Because 
you could lose your job for saying the wrong thing, even if it's the right thing. If you're in business, you have to be very careful there too. And, and, and in many cases, you have to make some hard decisions because there's some practices in business that are culturally acceptable but are biblically wrong. And so you have a decision. Will you stand in your faith or will you follow the culture? We see that in the sanctity of marriage, in gender identity, in, in the life of the unborn. All of these things are increasingly in conflict with Christian beliefs. And so, much like the recipients of this letter, we, you and I, we have a decision to make. Because we have a temptation, just like they do, to blend right in with the culture around us. To absorb into that normal way of life. And to hide our faith from public view. And so we need to hear this letter as well. And be encouraged to be faithful to our Savior as well. So before we look at this together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you and we realize that, as it was said, your, your word is living and active. And so, Lord, we believe that, that the power of this word speaks in our lives today relevantly, significantly, in a, in a life-changing way, just as it did to these original listeners of this letter when it was read. So, Lord, would you just open our hearts and our minds to accept that truth, to see all the things that are written in here that, that are intended to impact us. And I, I ask, Lord, along with that, 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 that the impact would not remain within the boundaries of this room, but that when we walk out into the world around us, <laughs> that it would be evident in how we live and where we work and all the places that we will be. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you would, turn to the book of Hebrews and let's begin looking at this great letter together. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, if you want to read along with me. It says, God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Now I want to just pause there. In the Greek New Testament, it actually begins in many portions and in many ways because that's where the author wants this emphasis to be made. Right up front, he's making the point that Jesus is not some new revelation, but, but in fact, he's the point of all revelation, a revelation that was not given all at once, but in many ways to, to many people, increasingly giving details over time. It's much like we do as parents, right? When we raise our kids, we don't dump all the information that we want them to hear at a very young age and expect them to get it, right? We do it over many years and in many ways. We do it through instruction. We do it through discipline. We do it in conversation. We do it with demonstration. And God, as a loving father, has done the same for you and I as his children, 
He spoke to the prophets. Just think of the different ways he did so. He did so through dreams, right? We, we just finished Daniel last year. And we saw how he spoke through dreams and how he spoke through visions. We know that he speaks through angels. He even speaks through donkeys and burning bushes, okay? That's quite a variety. Through many people in many ways with increasing detail over time. And in all these things, he is revealing the plan of redemption. A plan that was ultimately and completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Savior. The writer says, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. And even in that one little statement right there, we we see a tremendous contrast to what he just said prior to that. Because instead of speaking in many ways, he now speaks in one way. And instead of being progressive over time, now it's complete. Because Jesus is the final word in God's plan of redemption. He is the only one through whom we have salvation. Not one of many. Jesus is the one and only Son of God. Begotten, not made. The one in being with the Father. Is that, that God has appointed him heir of all things. Looking forward to Jesus in Psalm 2, which is, which is a messianic psalm. It says this, speaking of God's making him the heir of all things. He says, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. That's the heir of all things, but, but I want us to understand that, that that inheritance is not limited to this earth only, not, not just the nations here and not just the, the possessions of this earth, but it extends well beyond that. And we know that because of what Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, verse 18, when he says, all authority has been given to me. Where? Everywhere, in all of heaven and in all of earth. As the divinely appointed heir, Jesus has all authority over all there is. And that next statement tells us why. Look at what it says there at the end of verse 2. Through whom also he, Jesus, made the world. You see, he is the heir of all things because he is the creator of all things. And don't let that word world there at the end of verse 2 restrict your imagination. Because in the original language, that word world literally means ages or the sum of all time. So I want you to think beyond this world and I want you to think about our galaxy. Okay, Our galaxy, just in and of itself, is 600 trillion miles wide. And this is just one galaxy out of uh, hundreds of thousands of millions other galaxies. And, and that's just what we can see with our own eyes through the, the technology that's available to us. But, but we know it extends even far beyond that. And within each of those galaxies, there are hundreds of thousands of millions of stars. Now, now, now if you think about expanding beyond the limits of this world to see what exists beyond and into the universe around us and know that it all belongs to him. 
I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to get my head around. It's just incomprehensible, but I, I'm going to blow your mind, okay? Just hang on here. This is going to blow your mind, as if that wasn't already enough. I want you to see how Jesus manages this unimaginable cosmos, okay? If you want to, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 40, one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. Now, with that vast cosmos in mind, listen to this. Isaiah says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all, trillions and billions and however many, all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Now that's incredible. He knows them because he created them one by one. He knows you. He knows me. He knows us because he created us one by one. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things, in both heaven and on earth, all things, came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He is the heir of all things with absolute authority. He is the creator of all things with absolute power. He is the sustainer of all things with absolute control. Look at how the author goes on in verse 3. He says, and he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all that exists. Colossians 1.17 says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so this is not some frantic effort like it would be for you and I just to, to keep all the plates spinning everywhere. That's not what's happening here. In fact, he, he speaks in creation response. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. It is a moment by moment miraculous divine intervention. As Jesus works all things together. All things that are happening in this world, both, both good and bad, to fulfill the redemptive goal that he has in mind. And, and this is not something that he does from just this unknowable distance. But by God's mercy, he has entered in to the world that he created. He became the visible image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews says he is the radiance of God's glory. And when you think about radiance, I don't want you to think about reflection. Kind of like we would see that the, the moon reflects the, the light of the sun. That's not what's happening here. Because those are two distinctly different objects. Instead, this is the radiance of the sun. This is the, the light and the warmth that we can both see and feel. The, the radiance of, of the sun is, is, is what we see and feel in, in, in our lives. 
It is the exact representation of who God is. It's that, that energy of the sun that emanates from the sun itself. That's what it means for the glory of God to shine through the life of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, and that flesh dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that grace and truth is a part of God's nature. It's the exact representation of who He is. It's interesting in the, in the Greek language when it uses that phrase, exact representation, it's, it's borrowing from this idea of an image that is created like on a coin that corresponds perfectly with the die from which it was cast. That's the image here. That's the exact representation. So that when you see Jesus, you see God. The one is the exact imprint of the other. Jesus is the heir of all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. And he is the redeemer of all things. Look there at the end of verse 3. Where it says, when he made purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Earlier I said Jesus is responsible for everything, but he's not responsible for sin. That responsibility belongs to humanity. Because despite God's perfect provision, we, each and every one of us, have rebelliously, selfishly, and sinfully chosen to go our own way. And yet, Jesus came to redeem what sin has destroyed. And the author explains how when he said he gave his life as a purification for sins. First John chapter 1, verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And so we can see from this passage that, that the cleansing came with the cost. That Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what we just remembered when we came to the table together this morning. So Jesus was the author of creation, but also the author of our redemption. And having finished that work of redemption, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the author, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, and the ruler of all. He sat down. And that's important because it's, it's symbolizing, it's, it's signifying that his work is done. He meant it when he said it on the cross. It is finished. One sacrifice for all sin for all time, for all who believe. There was nothing else to be done. Seated at the right hand of God, Jesus has the highest place of authority. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, 
So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ rules with majesty on high. But again, he's not just sitting there kind of watching the world go by. He is intimately involved. In fact, he's interceding on our behalf. We know that from Romans chapter 8, verse 33. It says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who contends? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. So much like Jesus sustains what he created, he also protects what he has redeemed. We are secure in him. He does so with ultimate and unchallenged authority, ruling with righteousness, seated with majesty on high. Jesus is greater, the heir of all things, the creator of all things, the redeemer of all things, the sustainer of all things, the ruler of all things. And if Jesus, that Jesus, with all that authority and power, if he is for you, then you tell me who can be against you. And I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Because I don't know about you, but in our day-to-day lives, I have a tendency to forget that. And here's why. Because we encounter situations and difficulties in our life that seem really, really big. Heavier than we feel like we can carry. And and, and I've had one of those weeks (laughs) where, where things just kept coming. And I just thought, I'm not sure that I can do this. And the fact of the matter is I can't. But guess what? Jesus is greater. He's greater than all those things. So we need to understand that he's not only the creator and sustainer of this world, he is the one who sustains you and me. And that when he is for you, nothing can be against you. He is the heir of all things. And as the one who has authority of all things, he gives you and I everything that we need for life and godliness. We lack for nothing in him. He is the creator of all things, including our new creation identity in Christ. Old things have gone. Behold, new things have come. He is the redeemer of all things, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is the ruler of all things, and one day, as that ruler, he will make all things right. Jesus is greater. Amen? Let's pray together. Three verses. Lord, three verses, and you have described with incredible significance who Christ is and why he is greater than anything we could ask or imagine. In three verses, you have helped us see how Jesus Christ is the heir of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all that he has created, the redeemer of all things. 
One sacrifice for all sin, for all who believe, for all time, the ruler of all things, who even in this moment intercedes on our behalf. And one day, a day we pray very soon, you will make all things right. So Lord, may we, as we go about our days and we encounter things that seem heavy and obtrusive and overwhelming, that we would turn to you and know that you are greater than anything that we could ask or imagine and that you not only made us, you also sustain us because we belong to you. Pray this in your powerful name. So one of my favorite stories is in the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's this scene, I think it's in Prince Caspian. It's a beautiful scene where Lucy sees Aslan. If you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan represents Jesus. So she sees Aslan in this open field. The moonlight is shining. He's beautiful and he's radiant. (laughs) And she sees him. And she runs to him, and she buries her face in his mane, and she embraces her with all of his, her might. And, and he lies down and allows Lucy to, to sit between his two front paws. And he look, she looks up at him, and he looks down at her, and with his tongue, he touches her nose, and he says, welcome, child. And she said, Aslan, you're so much bigger. And he said, no, you're just getting older. And she said, so you're not? He says, I'm not. But the older you become, the bigger I become. And my hope for all of us as we go through the book of Hebrews is that week after week, the more we see, the bigger he becomes the greater, more magnificent of who Christ really is would impact our lives in powerful ways, increasingly over time. May he become bigger and greater for all of us. Amen? Lord, thank you for this morning and the chance to be together as a family. Thank you for all that we have experienced with the the celebration of those who are being sent out from this body. The privilege of coming to your table and and remembering the sacrifice that you made, and then to look into your word, and to hear the beauty of who you are, Christ, our Savior, the heir of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer of all things, and the ruler of all things. Mm. You are greater. And we worship you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.